Welcome to the Making Space podcast. This podcast comes out of a long-standing partnership between the Aspen Group and Barna. Our two organizations came together to discover the impact physical space has on the way people are shaped as they experience Jesus, engage with church, and interact with others in community. To learn more, go to aspengroup.com forward slash making space podcast. And now for today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Making Space podcast, where we are having conversations and dialogue about physical space and how it impacts and influences our formation, the sorts of people we're becoming, uh, physical space both in the church and outside of the church. We're so glad that you're joining us for these really important conversations. Uh, I'm Jay, and as always, here with my dear friend down under, Benjamin Wendell. Benjamin, how are you, man? I'm doing so well, and it's a great joy to be continuing this conversation with you, Jay. You know, I've been learning so much from our guests, and just a really interesting subject that we've been able to explore together. Yeah. How are things in in your world, my friend? Doing well. Yeah, enjoying the beautiful California weather, you know, which makes physical (laughs) space all the better, you know, to be able to go out into nature, conversations we've had about that as well. And uh, yeah, doing really well. Excited to jump into our our conversation today. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. I've been reflecting on this, Jay. You know, I've been pastoring as an adult for a couple of decades, but I'm a pastor's kid. You know, my dad was a pastor. I've been raised in it. And I actually have been thinking of some of those old church buildings of Mm my childhood that my dad would preach in. And I have these memories of laying on the carpet in the front row. Uh, My parents would bring Lego for me to play with. We didn't have a children's (laughs) ministry. But in my journey, those physical environments serve as something special to me. They became sanctuaries to what God was building in my heart. And so Mm -hmm. space and place really do matter. And that's why I love this collaboration here between the Barna Group and the Aspen Group. And this is a part of a wider study that I think all of our listeners are just going to enjoy uh, so much. Uh, Journal number one is called Making Space for Inspiration. And it's out right now. You can get access to this. Go to barna.com forward slash making space. Or if you're a Barna Access Plus subscriber, you can get immediate access to this journal right now. And again, I think people will find this um, study and information really fascinating, Jay. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump into our, our conversation today. I'm so excited about this. We are talking to Liz Laird, who is the co-founder of the Sacred Spaces Conservancy, which is a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization working with churches and church congregations uh, in order to find collaborative solutions to preserve um, vital sacred spaces in neighborhood life, uh, hopefully for generations to come. And Liz has been doing work like this with nonprofits and churches and government agencies um, and has spent 17 years as a resident of Washington, D.C. And uh, she's going to expand our thinking in terms of uh, why church buildings and spaces matter so much. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I, you know, it's I, I was so interested to have this conversation with you because of the very focused nature of your work. So I want to begin by asking you a question. You know, in Barna's um, study, what they found was that three in five U.S. adults, I found this surprising, three in five U.S. adults, 62% actually, consider Christian church buildings to be sacred spaces, which is surprising because we we you know live in what what is often called a post Christian culture, and yet over sixty percent of U.S. adults find Christian church buildings sacred. Only one in four said that church buildings are just buildings. So, I want to ask you a question. You know, um, you obviously do a lot of work to preserve historic church buildings. Why do the physical buildings matter so much, and what makes church buildings sacred spaces? Right. You know, one of the things that I often talk about when this question is asked, lots of people will say, well, you know, a church is more than just a building. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with that. But as Christians, we also believe in the importance of presence. We have a savior who became present with us. He took yeah. on human flesh to be with us. And in the same way, a church is a physical place that points us to the holy. It's a place where um, we are are drawn. We are drawn to um, the sacred, the 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 goodness, the beauty of who God is. Um, I was just recently in Europe with my family, and we went to Cologne Cathedral and Aachen Cathedral and the stave churches of Norway. And there were thousands of people in line to see these churches, and I'm pretty sure that they weren't all Christian believers. But they just knew deep down that these places, these historic and even, you know, even more modern places or places where they could interact with what was sacred and what was holy. Um, these buildings also have historically been important parts of the history of our cultures, right? They're, uh, they're kind of signposts of the value we place on community, on justice, on mercy, um, they were places for schools. They were places for care for the poor. They were places for pomp and, and, and ceremony as well and places of remembrance. And all of that is kind of a part of what it means for a place to be sacred, um, ultimately connecting us to what is holy. Mm. Can I follow up on that, Liz? I want to ask you, because you just touched on this um, toward the end there, you know, just as briefly as you can, how has the the purpose and the the use of church buildings changed throughout history for, for better or for worse? I think we have a particular thought in, my, in our minds when we think about a church building today, but how has that changed over the years? So historically speaking, churches were really kind of what maybe more modern people would think of as community centers, right? Um, they were places where people gathered for political purposes. There were places where people gathered for economic purposes. There were places where people gathered for social purposes. Um, and I think that that continues to somewhat be true in our country today, um, but that's sort of something that's fallen away um, with our current church buildings. Now, that's not as true with the historically African-American church, where um, those issues of especially political engagement and economic engagement continue to be an important part of their daily life in their physical church spaces. Um, but we have seen sort of the change in uh, sort of the centering of communities around the physical church building 
um, to being more places that aren't utilized as much as they could be um, for the good of the city. Let, let me dig a little bit deeper into that, um, Liz. You know, I was raised in the modern church era, like, you know, modern worship. Um, I think in my era particularly, church buildings became so functional and mm-hmm. practical in nature. We lost beauty. We forgot that a physical environment really encapsulates something of values and, and culture. And in a world of a lot of noise and a lot of chaos, you now have younger generations as well that need spaces that transport us above, you know, all that we're in. And in this study, Barna found that the top three types of places that non-Christians considered to be transcendent were connected to a sense of embeddedness in time history, such as nature, memorial sites, and historic sites, which is quite interesting. So like, what would your commentary be on just the changes Mm -hmm. in how church buildings are designed in older churches compared Mm -hmm. to modern churches and some of how that plays into this search for transcendence and something more? Yeah, you know, this is something that I really lament. I remember being in high school and reading a book, and I can't even think of who the author was or, you know, the topic of or the the title of the book. But I remember there was a chapter about the the psalmist saying, worship the Lord in the beauty or the splendor of his holiness. And I feel like that's something that those early church architects got, right? Mm-hmm. They understood simply not the function, not what he can do for us, not, you know, <laughs> anything else but the beauty of God's holiness. And I think that, you know, I think there's lots of reasons that that's changed in our modern culture today. Maybe it's because Christianity itself has become more transactional. Maybe it's a, a, a misunderstanding of the, the theology of beauty of holiness Um, But I think that we are sort of seeing this swing back, especially amongst, you know, I'm a millennial in my generation, sort of this deeper longing for just beauty for the purpose of beauty, beauty that points us to something, something more, something other, something, something holy. Um, And I think that, unfortunately, I think churches are kind of on the backside of that um, as they are, you know, new buildings being created or even in renovations that they're, they're now realizing, Oh, okay. Wow. We need to catch up with this because it is a deep longing of people because look, people can go join a social club. People can go join a sports team. People can go join all they can join a, a, a chorus. You know, they can do all of these things. Where can they sit with what is holy? And I yeah. think that one of those places is a church. But there's a lot there. Um, Liz, in, in what you've just said, what a great scripture, you know. Um, I love that. I think it's a really helpful way of looking at things. And it just further, I think, cements this idea that buildings represent so much more than what we realize because you do start getting into ideas of culture and so forth. Um, what words of advice or thoughts would you have for churches, maybe on a budget or mm-hmm. rented spaces that are more modern, more basic? And they're mm-hmm. trying to lean into this whole idea of people are searching for something transcendent in physical place. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your thoughts be 
for churches in that kind of scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, what have our what did our church fathers do? How did they engage those things? Um, how did the early church physical architects bring about those things? Art, music. I'm I'm Anglican, you know, so smells and bells is, a, is always a, a good choice for me. Um, but those sorts of things, you know. I'm going to be honest, uh, historic church buildings are expensive and their upkeep is extremely expensive. Um, it's not, not every congregation can go buy an 1850s church, one, because it might not exist in their town, or two, it, it might not financially be possible. There might be other reasons it's not possible. But you can engage the senses, right? You can engage with a, a local artist or a stained glass maker or you know uh, um, different liturgies, different different songs that can engage people in that worship of you know of holiness. Yeah, that, that's a really encouraging word, Liz. For I think so many listeners who maybe are serving in and leading local churches, who are listening to the early part of the conversation and they're wondering, well, Liz, our church is leasing a space in a business park. It doesn't look like a beautiful 1828, you know, red brick Presbyterian building or something. Um, But there are ways, right? There are ways, uh, not in disingenuous ways, but a full commitment Mm -hmm. to um, express. I love what you said about beauty Mm -hmm. and how beauty calls our hearts and minds to something that is, again, something else we've talked about, transcendent. You know, it sort of allows us to elevate above kind of the chaos of the normal everyday rush of our lives. Um, you know, I want to, I want to ask you a, con- a question connected to that about just even, even the way a church space and the gathering space for a congregation looks. Um, when Barna and Aspen was doing, uh, this research together, this is also really fascinating. They found that 87%, so the overwhelming majority of U.S. adults somewhat or strongly agree that churches, church buildings, should ease, be easily identifiable as churches, which actually goes against sort of the, the design movement of churches in recent years, which again has been to sort of blur the lines. Like, is it a church or is it a coffee shop or a WeWork space? You know, and, and I, you know, I, I like modern architecture, all of that, but in terms of churches and sacred spaces, um, you know, and this is also interesting. They found that the majority of non-Christians agree with that statement and believe that churches should reflect beauty and specifically reflect the beauty of God. Mm. So I want to ask you a question, Liz. What do you think is lost mm. when church buildings and spaces are no longer clearly identifiable mm. as church buildings and spaces? You know, I think no one wants to be duped. Right. Mm. No one wants to be, no one appreciates a bait and switch. And I think, especially, again, this is my experience, especially in DC, which is a pretty highly uh, non Christian uh, city, um, there's a distrust. Like, what are you actually trying to do? Are you actually trying to serve me coffee or are you trying to convert me to Jesus? And I, I think there's absolutely, and we even encourage, we encourage churches to think about how they can use their space for their community, how they can be a coffee shop or how they can be a daycare or how they can be, you know, these things. Because that's part of our calling as Christians to love and serve our city. But I think there is an appreciation 
for people understanding who we are and unabashedly being who we are. And, and, and I think we see that in that research. It's also kind of shocking to me too, because I would think people are kind of turned off by church buildings, but it's, it sounds like, no, they, they just want to know that it's a church building. Um, And I think, yeah, like what we lose is sort of this intrinsic difference, the set apartness that, that Christians are called to um, when, when it's unclear kind of who we are and, and what this is. So good. Um, you know, I want to ask you specifically then, what, what are your thoughts on um, when old church buildings mm-hmm. are uh, bought and sold and then, you know, some of the architecture main, remains. There's, you know, where I live, there's, um, I love going to, to concerts, live mm-hmm. music, and I actually prefer smaller venues. So up in San Francisco, about 45 minutes from where I live, there's a cool little venue in the Mission District called The Chapel. Mm-hmm. And The Chapel is actually, it was a yeah. chapel, a small church building that is no longer a church building. It's a concert venue with a little bar and restaurant attached. And, um, but they've maintained all of the interior aesthetic. And these are not, these are far from Christian bands playing in the chapel. And yet the aesthetic, like people celebrate it. They love it. They kept some of the pews. So there's back pews where you can sit during the show if you're tired and, you know, like drink your beer or whatever. And, uh, so what do you think about that? You know, how should we even, how should we think about that? Is that sort of a redemptive, yeah. you know, way to approach it? Um, is there, is there, uh, are there other ways to approach yeah. that whole sort of, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, um, personally, the saddest conversion is into individual luxury condos. Mm. Um, because once things are converted to, to private individual use, they don't come back. You're not going to unconvert a church from in luxury condos, for instance, which is mostly what's happening here in DC. Most of the churches that we're, uh, you know, trying really hard to fight to save are are slated to become um, luxury condos, not even affordable housing, right? That might even be a little bit better. But um, and let me say, I am very much pro real estate. I am pro individual property ownership. But I, I lament these spaces that honestly are kind of awkward when they're cut up into these, you know, condos. Um, concert halls, I was in, in uh, what was it? In one of the, one of the cities we were in, in, in Europe, there was a, a church that had been converted into a bookstore. Um, there was another one that was a hotel, but they actually hadn't fastened anything onto the walls. That was part of the sort of the them being able to use that building was so that if one day it needs to be a church again, they Mm. couldn't have attached anything to the walls. So in that sense, I love that they're places of community. I do. I think that's a really great thing. And our prayer is that they will be places of worship again, whether that be because the chapel rents out their space to a a startup church, or maybe someone knows the Bible study there, or maybe it actually becomes owned by a church that worships there regularly, you know? So in, in the sense of, I love that they are being places of community. Do I wish that they were still primarily places of worship? Absolutely. But always I would say that keeping them, we talk about in real estate, kind of their primary use, right? They're, they're just, you know, the, the use they were designed for. I would prefer that than them being chopped up because then they're lost. 
Well, such a helpful take on this, um, Liz, and I think we've learned so much today in our conversation. Um, thank you for your time and uh, your perspective on this. What would your final words of encouragement be for church leaders today? You know, I would just remind you that um, that spaces do matter, and in inviting people in to experiencing the holiness of God is something that can take place um, in a historic church with beautiful stained glass and organs, but it can also take place in a warehouse, in a rented space. And, and I would encourage you to think about how you might engage sacred spaces um, to be places of worship and places of beauty, but also places of community that care and love their city um, and places that proclaim Jesus and also proclaim the splendor of God. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Liz. We've taken so much from this. I mean, Jay, what a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, such great stuff there. I was really struck, Benjamin, when Liz uh, mentioned, you know, that that idea, nobody wants to be duped. And I do think that there is um, power in the sort of creative potential of churches uh thinking about their space as a seven days a week sort of space. You know, Liz mentioned it earlier that historically churches were actually much more like community centers where they were sort of a central hub for entire communities to to gather and to um, share resources and to receive encouragement or whatever it might have been. And so many of our buildings today are just sort of offices for a handful of staff six days a week. And then there's three hours on a Sunday where it's busy, you know? Um, but I love that thought that when we begin thinking creatively about how our spaces can be communal again, we also need to be clear. Nobody wants to be duped. You know, nobody wants to show up and, and think, Oh, you know, I'm showing up here cause it's an open sure. playground for my kids. And, uh, and now I'm getting handed, a track, you know, an invitation to some, you know, whatever it might be. And and there's nothing wrong with track ne- tracks necessarily, but um, that gives me a lot of food for thought, even as we think about our church space here and we're having conversations about, you know, actually the language we've been using is how do we blur the lines between uh, our church and the city in a physical way? And I think that's still a, a, a good way to think about it, but also to think about it in terms of um, how do we express it most honestly and most genuinely and authentically to our city. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff there. What, what about you, Benjamin? What stood out to you? Well, I mean, I think one of the things for me, Jay, you know, just practically is when Liz mentioned, hey, these old buildings are expensive. There's a lot of yeah. maintenance. Not everyone can go out and buy an old grand cathedral to do like some yeah. millennial Gen Z worship <laughs> experience in, you know. Uh, so you feel transcendent, just financially, you know. And so I think that's probably a dilemma that a lot of pastors and churches have to wrestle with is um, we often have financial constraints, which pushes us towards buildings that are practical and functional. A lot of churches are just struggling to keep up with maintenance and the thought of adding beauty into the conversation, transcendence into the conversation is like, well, how can how can we even consider that? We're just trying to get that wall painted or get the get the lobby refreshed or 
make our children's right. ministry signage clear. Um, but I think one of the things that this conversation is helpful for all of us is to try and elevate our thinking beyond the immediacy of what can what can we just afford right now in our budget and to think through some of these filters, even if that is a long-term perspective that pastors are looking at their facilities and churches, like what you're saying, Jay, in our church, we're having a conversation about how to blur the lines between the, our church and the city, but who knows where those conversations lead to. So I can I, I have empathy for the reality financially that a lot of churches are grappling with and trying to mix this all in can be a bit of a challenge, but I would kind of prompt us who were in that space to say, hey, let's still explore ways where we can find an expression of beauty and the sacred and holiness within within churches. I mean, quick little um, random side note, Jay. Yeah. Um, Japanese souffle pancakes, right? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So there's this- I'm in. So there's this- there's this, and I'm into going to the chapel with you one day and sitting in the back view. So there's this yes. little restaurant I went to this week. Um, oh my goodness, the, the pancakes are incredible. You're sitting on the sidewalk, table is wobbly, nap, napkin under one of the legs to make the thing, yeah. you know. Um, and yet I'll I'll drive 45 minutes past you know, a hundred other restaurants to get to this place, but you're there. Yes. There's something authentic about the whole experience yeah. that just resonates and works. It's not about opulence. It's not about luxury. It's it's not about, yeah. well, this has to look like a glossy magazine. I do think we have new generations. Maybe they're not putting it into these words, but they're longing for home. They're longing for authentic yeah. and to see that expressed in in physical places. And so to yeah. me, that idea of just authenticity, Liz mentioned, no one likes to be duped. You reiterated yeah. that, Jay. Authenticity in our environment, I think, leads to beauty. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, um, it's interesting when you talk about that restaurant, you know, and I was talking about the chapel in San Francisco, right where the chapel venue is, it's right in the heart of the mission district, you know, and you've been there, Benjamin, to, to the city. Um, it's just so many little hole in the wall restaurants, which are just buzzing as you were talking about. And this is an area in which you've done a ton of work. It's buzzing with millennials and Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever you want to go. It's just like full, chock full of young people. And I think one of the reasons that they're there, and this is really important, I think for me, for all of us as church leaders, when we talk about, okay, it's really expensive. You know, I can't buy a, an old Gothic cathedral. What we can do, though, is shift our mindset. One of the reasons these restaurants, one of the reasons that Japanese souffle restaurant is doing so well, the whole experience feels genuine and authentic. I think, in part, it's because these restaurants, these venues, these places, they are thinking about their community not as consumers to reach, but a community to belong to. So they actually do blur lines, but they don't blur lines in terms of, you know, duping you or tricking you. Like, are you in the restaurant? Or are you still on the sidewalk? They blur the lines between we're a business and you're the consumer. 
they instead blur the lines in such a way that it's like, no, we have some really great food that we think you'll enjoy. There's a fair price an exchange, a transaction, but we're doing it because it's for the good of all, right? You get a great meal, our business stays open, there's energy and vibrancy and a sort of communal exchange happening here that feels mutually correct. beneficial. And I think all churches can at least begin thinking that way. Well, correct. Instead and, of saying, how do we design the, a- And Jay, quickly, the point on that is the furniture at this place was not expensive. Yeah. Like the fit out was not like, oh, they, these guys have spent millions. And yet it worked, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, it connected yeah. something. So yeah, back, back to what you were saying. Yeah, it's communal. So anyways, yeah, lots of good stuff there. We, we hope that this is just a first word for you as you're listening, not a last word. Um, just one more quick reminder. Remember, go check out the journals. They're a great sort of resource for you to supplement the conversations we're having here on the podcast. And again, we're a new podcast. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, share it with friends, leave a review. And uh, we're so glad you're on the journey with us. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you all very soon.